You're listening to Professionalism Matters podcast series, where we discuss important matters impacting on our professionalism and remind ourselves why our professionalism really matters. Professionalism is the set of values, behaviours and relationships which underpins the trust the public has in doctors, nurses and health and social care professionals. In conversation with our expert guest, we shall explore some of the greatest dilemmas in professionalism and ethics in modern healthcare practice. And together with you, our audience, we hope to find some of the solutions. My name is Professor Dennis Harkin. I am a surgeon and chair of medical professionalism at the Centre for Professionalism in Medicine and Health Sciences at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. This episode of Professionalism Matters is on unprofessionalism. If we consider professionalism as the set of values, behaviours and relationships that underpin public trust, then unprofessionalism is considered behaviour below or contrary to the standards expected of the profession. Behaviour which adversely affects the ideal functioning of a team. It takes many forms from low-level poor behaviour, such as being persistently late, uncooperative, cynical or over-demanding, to more egregious breaches such as sexual misconduct or verbal or physical abuse. Incivility, bullying and harassment in hospitals has a negative impact on teamwork, staff well-being and patient safety. Today I am delighted to be joined by our guest, Professor Joanna Westbrook, who is the Director of the Centre for Health Systems and Safety Research at the Australian Institute of Health Innovation at Macquarie University, Australia. She is internationally recognised for her research evaluating the effects of information and communication technology in healthcare, which has led to significant advances in our understanding of how clinical information systems deliver, or rather fail to deliver, expected benefits. Professor Westbrook has led a large-scale study looking at the prevalence and impact of unprofessional behaviours amongst hospital workers, and more recently has been working with a large healthcare provider to evaluate a multi-hospital organisational culture change intervention designed to reduce unprofessional behaviour between hospital staff. So, with your permission, Joanna, I would like to chat to you today about something that matters to professionalism, the spectre of unprofessionalism. We will explore your personal reflections, uh, any insights that you have gained, and we would hope that you can share some lessons you've learned with our listeners so they may be able to use those to help cope better with uh, similar experiences in future. For the benefit of our listeners, we will consider the problem in depth and we will use a reflective approach where we consider what is unprofessionalism, so what, why does it matter, and now what, what types of interventions could we consider. So first of all, Joanna, mm. what, uh, a description of what unprofessionalism is in your mind. So we've been concentrating on unprofessional behaviour and starting with what we often think of as a very explicit unprofessional behaviour, so things such as harassment, bullying, discrimination, and no matter where you go in the world, you see reports coming out from professional colleges that 
uh, healthcare workers really experience high levels of these types of behaviours. But we were also interested in another set of behaviours which perhaps are less explicit. So they're things such as passive aggressive behaviour, being rude, uncivil, uh, withholding information which is really important for someone to be able to do their job. And if you think of an iceberg, I think we think about the sort of very explicit behaviours at the top of the iceberg, but there are all these other types of behaviours which are also classified under how we perceive um, unprofessional behaviour. And, and they're the behaviours that we were interested in looking at. Fantastic. Um, and in the study that you conducted, um, we could see that these behaviours, uh, both low level and more egregious, are quite prevalent and they go across the spectrum of health and social care workers. Uh, could you expand on that? Yes, absolutely. So we really undertook a very large survey across all hospital staff, so not just one professional group, but everyone who works in a hospital. And we asked them about their experience of 26 behaviours, which range from these very acute physical and sexual assault to things such as people being rude to you. And we asked how often they'd experienced those behaviours in the last 12 months uh, and uh, whether they felt they had the skills to speak up and the impact that those behaviours have on themselves and on clinical care. And what we found across these um, seven hospitals was that while 90% of people had experienced at least one of these behaviours in the last 12 months, interestingly we found that nearly 40% of staff said they experienced one or more of these behaviours weekly. So it's, you know, very prevalent. And that feeds, I suppose, into the culture of an organisation. Uh, mm. People uh, mimic behaviours that they see or perhaps see being tolerated by others. Uh, and that leads to a, a perhaps a snowball effect uh, in, in terms of the culture of an organisation? That's absolutely true. I think um, we have been in the past very concerned about the impact that these behaviours have on individuals and we know, for example, particularly within some professional groups, um, medical professions, for example, we see high rates of suicide and the detriment to the wellbeing of individuals. But we're now also building a body of evidence which shows that these types of behaviours also have an impact on the way people deliver care and on the outcomes for patients. So there's some really interesting studies. So for example, there are groups of simulation studies where they take groups of clinicians and they expose half of those clinicians to a quite mild, rude statement and then they look at how they perform in those clinical simulations and compare them to groups of clinicians who didn't experience that rude statement. And they find on a whole range of metrics that they are poorer in diagnosis, they are poorer in um, the procedures that they undertake, vigilance for the management of those patients. And these simulations have been conducted now in multiple countries and we get the same results, demonstrating there seems to be quite a big impact on the way clinical teams perform when they are exposed to these types of negative behaviours. And some of the mechanisms behind that is that people tend to shut down, they stop sharing information. Uh, and also at a cognitive level, you start thinking about, well, why was that person rude to me? It starts consuming your working memory capacity because you're thinking, what are the implications of this for me, for my relationships? How am I going to get back at this person? Uh, and what we have seen in the research is that while if you're doing fairly routine tasks that may not make a big difference. But if you're dealing with a critical clinical situation where you really need your working memory to be able to coordinate a range of tasks and respond to that, if your working memory is consumed by thinking about 
all these behaviours, your performance deteriorates. And I think we find that in stressful situations, um, people's uh, uh, behaviour does change. Um, and uh, not to put um, percentages on particular uh, groups within health care, mm. uh, but we know that high stress environments, perhaps operating theatres, uh, coronary care units, uh, catheter labs, um, emergency departments uh, are perhaps a little bit more prone to those stressors that may lead to uh, unprofessional behaviours. Was that your finding as well? I, we don't have clear evidence about that. So I think there are some hypotheses about, you know, what are the mechanisms that lead people to be unprofessional and some of the issues around high stress environment comes up. I don't think we have clear evidence yet about whether that is a cause or effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that deals with a lot of the so what, why does this matter? Why does this matter to us uh, as uh, workers in healthcare? as people who uh, contribute to research and education around healthcare, uh, but ultimately to the patient. And you've already mm. touched on this, Joanna, because I suppose we're in the business of uh, giving the patient a, a good experience and a good outcome. Um, could you reflect on how unprofessional behaviours um, uh, and their, um, their ability to maybe freeze staff, make staff second guess uh, their, their, their skills, their competency, uh, and how that could feed through then into harm to patients? So um, when we did our large survey, we actually asked people to, we had a couple of open-ended questions to say, tell us about behaviours and the impact that they've had on you. And interestingly, we had nearly a third of staff, so out of 5,000 respondents, we had a third of them write, you know, quite a bit of information about that. And interestingly, some of the categories of behaviours that they felt really impacted on the way they delivered safe care well, things that you may not expect. So eye rolling was a major issue, that people felt that they really deteriorated their confidence, that they felt unable to speak up when you had somebody who was busy rolling their eyes when you were trying to be, give clinical information. So you can see in those types of situations, people may not speak up, they may not provide their suggestions about how you should improve the management of a patient. We've also got some really great data out of some large studies from the US where they've looked at the association between uh, unprofessional behaviours and surgical complications, for example. So there was a large study done in the US which looked at over 13,500 patients and 200 surgeons. And what they found were that patients of surgeons who had a high number of co-worker complaints about their behaviour had significantly higher post-operative complication rates than surgeons who had fewer co-worker complaints. So we're really starting to build the evidence about the fact that these behaviours really do translate to reductions in the quality of care we provide our patients. Yeah, and at, at the very least, uh, you know, when one goes to work, one would expect to be in a respectful environment uh, and a safe environment mm. uh, in which you can professionally carry out your, your daily duties. Uh, and uh, for the patient, obviously, they would wish to be in an environment where they were treated with respect mm. by respectful individuals that work well within teams and, mm. and obviously delivered good outcomes for them. So it sort of brings us then on to the now what, um, the third part of the reflection. Um, So education may be part of this. Obviously, research is essential to give the foundation to that. Um, But what interventions uh, have you seen that may have worked in the literature that you may have considered 
testing yourself and with your group mm-hmm. uh, or would think for the future might be options to consider. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, so we have really great data about the size of the problem and the nature of the problem, but we actually have quite poor data on what interventions actually make a difference. Uh, one of the interventions that seems to be gathering a, a stronger evidence base are what are called professional accountability programs. And these are interventions which really started in the US and Vanderbilt. And they're based on sort of graduated intervention. So they talk about sort of having four steps. And the first step is really to have those informal conversations with an individual about an, you know, a specific event. So it might be me coming and suggesting that we have a cup of coffee and I give you a bit of feedback about your behaviour. The next thing is that they suggest it's really valuable to use some data to be able to show someone where they sit in respect to their peers. So for many of these programs in the US, they set up reporting systems which um, either have patient complaint data or they also have co-worker complaint data. So when co-workers have seen unprofessional behaviours, they report a colleague and they use this data. Um, They try to identify clinicians, so mostly they focus on um, doctors in these programs who seem to be outliers in terms of the number of complaints. And then they take this data and have a conversation with them. And the idea is not to try and solve the problem, but really just to show them that they may be an outlier compared to their peers. Uh, And some of the early data from that work suggests that uh, about 70% of clinicians who have these conversations see this data, they um, don't appear in a report in the next 12 months. So it suggests that you know most people will reflect on their own behaviour and, and change it. And then the third step is if people continue to have these types of patterns of behaviour, it's then about their leaders coming in and having a talk about to them, really about also doing a welfare check. Is there something going on in their lives which is really contributing to this? And then it's only at the fourth stage where you actually start doing that formal disciplinary sort of process, which is, you know, often what we have relied upon in the past as the first step. It doesn't work out very well for everyone. Um, And so this graduated type of um, program is what we've been looking at. And we were working with a large health service provider in Australia who adapted a professional accountability culture change program. Um, So with this, what they did was they um, developed a program which is called Ethos. Um, It involves, first of all, providing training to staff about how to speak up in the moment, because that's usually the most effective way to deal with these uh, situations. But we also know it's very difficult sometimes. So then they set up a reporting system, so staff can report unprofessional behaviour of colleagues. But also, what is different to the American system is they can report positive behaviours. Uh, when they want to acknowledge the the great work of their their colleagues. Uh, And then, once again, there's sort of this tiered um, approach where if you get reported, then a peer messenger who is trained will come and deliver a message to you. So with our evaluation, we worked alongside the hospital as they rolled out this system. And we really wanted to say, do these systems work? At the end of the day, do you get lower levels of unprofessional behaviour? Um, do staff actually use the reporting system? We have no idea whether they would or not engage with the system. So we um, have just finished looking at those, um, those results. So we did our large survey where we had prevalence at the beginning, so we knew what the prevalent rates were. And we saw that two and a half years after the program had been in place, we did see reductions in rates of unprofessional behaviour reported by staff. 
But interestingly, we also looked at what were they reporting and who was reporting. And we were surprised to see that um, in three years across eight hospitals, there were about two and a half thousand reports. And there was about a 50-50 split between positive and what we might say negative reports. Mm -hmm. uh, and staff really wanted to acknowledge their colleagues and they wanted to say good things as well as to point out behaviours which were unprofessional. Well, that's fascinating because um, as a stepwise approach with, mm. with education, retraining, uh, rehabilitation, and obviously sanctions for, for the, those very few that may not respond uh, to those initial measures. And it sounds like you've got large-scale buy-in from the staff, which could, must not have been easy in the first instance, I would suspect. Uh, but uh, once uh, an organisation uh, takes responsibility for the culture within their organisation, the work environment, um, and uh, and works uh, with with researchers and experts like yourself, uh, then a change can be made, a positive change by the signs of things. Yeah, I mean there are very significant programs to introduce, but I think it is promising to see that we are getting some evidence to suggest they are worth the effort, and I think they signal to staff that um, the organisation is serious about doing something about this. That it, culture change is very difficult. It's very difficult to change. Um, the way people interact on, on a regular basis, but these programs seem to be effective. And I think one of the other core elements of the success of this program was the fact that it involved whole of hospital. So anybody in the hospital could report any other person um, in either a positive or, or negative way. Um, most of the US programs have only been about reporting doctors. And I just think in healthcare, it's so multidisciplinary, you can't just focus on one profession if you're gonna change the culture of the organization. Well, that's fantastic. So we hope to hear more about that in the future, obviously. Uh, but for now, before we finish our uh, podcast today, we'd like to uh, leave our listeners, I suppose, um, not in suspense, but with what you would consider maybe the most important learning or lesson from that body of work that you talked through with us uh, today. If you had a few reflections on your experience on, on professionalism, what do you think are the key things going forward? Well, I think to recognise that this is challenging and that you can't do it overnight so these sort of programs really have to be an investment over multiple years and, and you need your committed leaders to lead it. I think one of the interesting things we found that perhaps we haven't focused on before is this notion of staff wanting to recognise positive behaviours as well uh, and that while we do want to focus on unprofessional behaviours and trying to change those we also need to recognise that um, positive behaviours may also be incredibly effective at changing cultures as well. Well, that's a very positive message uh, that we can take out of uh, our talk today. So on that note, I would like to thank our guest, uh, Professor Joanna Westbrook, very much for sharing uh, her experience uh, and her personal reflections. Thank you for listening to this episode of Professionalism Matters, uh, the podcast series. Uh, today, uh, episode was on, on professionalism broadcast from the Centre for Professionalism in Medicine and Health Sciences at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. I hope you've enjoyed it uh, and if you have, I hope you will invite uh, some friends, some colleagues to also listen. If you would like to know more about this topic, uh, which was discussed in our podcast, please do have a look at our podcast description for further information. Uh, if you are new to podcasts, perhaps listening for the first time, uh, please make sure you subscribe to our channel uh, to make listening easier in future. You can access this podcast or any other in the series on all the major apps. And for more information on the team, our experts, 
or on medical professionalism in general, or if you would like to have your CPD recognised for listening to this podcast and would like a certificate, please look at Professionalism Matters podcast series, the description and links. And remember, professionalism matters, do matter. And goodbye for now.